I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Red Wing. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode number 62, Mark LaCour, we are almost ready to start collecting our pension. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we're we're getting up there. It's great, great to have you back on the show, James. Good week for both of us with OTC. Good weather. Um, good, let's just uh, you know, enjoying the show, enjoying our listeners. All good stuff. All very good stuff. One fantastic thing that happened last week was the rig tour. It was a smashing success. As soon as the as soon as the weather blew over, I. I, I I had the experience last year because first that was my first year at OTC. Thank you, Mark. And it was that that complete overwhelm of wow, I've been talking about this equipment for so long. Now I'm seeing it in person, and that feeling of oh my goodness, look at this behemoth structure that's manufactured to millimeters of precision. And just talk about that for a second because it is it is truly incredible. It was a great event. Hats off to my uh, young professionals at API Houston chapter uh, for pulling this thing off. We uh, had some stutters along the way, but but everything came off without a hitch. We had a bunch of people. We even had some high school students come out on the school bus. We got a tour of a real operational offshore rig. We had some experts out there explaining how everything worked. It was fascinating. I learned a lot because I've been offshore in like 10 years. The weather was great. The food was great. I mean, it was awesome. Then what was really cool, James, is how many of our listeners um, showed up for the rig tour. It was it was actually surprising. Um, now, I had one young lady look at me, and she goes, "Aren't didn't you come from the podcast? And it's like, no, I'm a little bit older than the podcast. <laughs> I came from somewhere else. But no, I get what you're saying. So it was, it was a great event. Yeah, I've never met so many people. I, I, obviously, from statistics, I know that we have a lot of listeners, but it, it was just it was very humbling for me to meet so many in person. Oh yeah, we listen to the show and get to talk to them. A lot of them young professionals just getting started in oil and gas. And I, I have a soft spot obviously because I did not come from Texas or oil. And the fact that this resource is out here for people like that now is amazing because, oh my goodness, what I, what I would have done for it back when I started, you know, six years ago. Yeah, and James, you probably should throw a link to the uh, API Houston Young Professionals. The Rig Tour is not a once-only event. We have a bunch of learning events coming up in the next year. I mean, tours of FMC technology, tours of Cameron, tours of Chevron um, uh, Network Operations Center, and so on and so on. So if our listeners have an interest in jumping on this learning bandwagon that we've created, uh, throw a link up, James, and they can just go sign up for stuff. Yeah, I will put a link in the show notes. And I mentioned downloads. Good Goodness gracious, Fulton Ignatius, as we say around my house, my son's name. But, oh my goodness, Mark, we had our biggest download day in the history of this show. I used to think it was really cool when we got 600 in a day. We got 6,000 almost in one day. (laughs) 6,000 people downloading a show in one day. That is awesome. So we had, it was a huge spike. Fourth, it it was nearly 5,000, then up towards 6,000. And now it's just maintaining over 2,000, which a week ago I was excited because it was maintaining over 200. And this speaks to the exponential growth that happens when you relentlessly execute it always happens within 12 and 18 months but it's it's really mind-boggling to watch happen so thank you everyone for downloading and listening we are very 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 thankful for you 
Yeah, yeah, and I've said this a bunch of times in person this last week, but if it wasn't for our listeners, it'd just be James and I talking to ourselves, which would be kind of weird. <laughs> it'd be great for me because that was one of the, other than knowing that I needed to have a great, great show to be able to grow my business, I really wanted to be able to learn from you, Mark, and so the audience has allowed has allowed you to not just have pity on me. <laughs> so one of my, we're at the tail end of OTC, and I want to, it was an amazing week. I met so many great people. One of the huge things that I saw in talking to a lot of different people was the fact that, yes, people are laying off, but there are a number of companies, and I'm not talking small shops either, they've had jobs they're trying to fill for years. Yeah, and that's that's very common in the industry, and you know, it's, I'm glad you brought that up. So a lot of people that are looking for work, and if you are looking for work, we have another show that's uh, perfect for you, uh, Oil and Gas Careers Podcast. But a lot of people that are looking for work will discount companies right now in this low crew price environment, like uh, Chevron or National Oil Well or FMC who are laying off. Don't discount them. They're still hiring, right? So um, you know, this industry is so large and it's so global that regardless of what's going on with crude prices, a part of this industry is always looking to pick up good talent. All right, let's get into the stories. We're going to kick things off up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I'm sorry, not not Calgary, Fort McMurray, Alberta, Canada, because we've uh, unfortunately 80,000 people are homeless and all of Fort McMurray evacuated as wildfire intensifies. And we'll get into the oil side of this, but let's first focus on the human side of things and in what's yeah, going on. This is a huge natural catastrophe. It's um, a lot of people have been uh, lost their homes. A lot of people have been evacuated, um, and this is this is you know a, a, one, a, a major wildfire. Even though this is the wildfire season in that part of Canada, this is by far one of the biggest ones that's, that's happened in recordable history. So um, you know, the, there's a bunch of firefighters out there out there battling. Unfortunately, the conditions are perfect for the fire to maintain control. Right? It's very dry. It's very windy. Um, so you know, you know. You know, these brave men and women are out there trying to take control of this. And it's going to take them so a while, right? We have a, there's a, you know, a, a bunch of, uh, of support going out there. There's a bunch of air tankers uh, grabbing water and a bunch of fire suppressing vehicles. They're out there digging fire lines. They will get control of this, but it's going to take a little bit of work. And it's, um, and it's, it's, it's really sad from the people point of view. The number of people have lost their homes. I mean, people have lived there for a long time. And they weren't allowed the- to take anything. They, they, they just get out, get out, get out. And to yeah, see so these the fire people. spread so fast that all they could do is get the people out. They couldn't take their belongings. Um, and there's, you know, there's even air service out there lifting patients out who, you know, had smoke inhalation or burns. I mean, this is this well, they is had stuff. to it, it breached the city limits, and then they had to evacuate even the hospital. Yeah, so it's, um, it's, you know, it's this is a tragedy. Now, like I said, they will get control of this, um, but it's going to take a while for them to get their hands around this. Yeah, and, and shout out to Jeremy Coolis at Mobile Data Tech. I was texting back and forth with him about this, and he was saying he has a friend who's a firefighter up in Canada might have to go up there. Hopefully they can get this blaze under control. And now to to switch over to the oil impact that this has and the fact that this did not start from oil and had nothing to do with oil. Take it, Mark. Yeah, it's 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 unfortunate. So um um you know, I became aware of this uh yesterday. Was it yesterday, James, that you sent me a link to this going on? It, it might have been the night before, before, but I think you were sleeping, yeah. so you probably woke up to the news. <clears throat> 
Yeah, so it's um, and I did a little bit of research this, and unfortunately, in the media, they like to tie this to the oil sands, and this has nothing, nothing to do with oil. It has nothing to do with oil sands, oil and gas industry, nothing. This is a natural wildfire. Now, one of the things that people may not realize is that man has actually made these things worse. Uh, same thing happened in California. So wildfires are natural; they happen. In fact, there's a lot of plants out there that have evolved to depend on wildfire to help them reproduce. Without a wildfire, they can't spread their seeds. So um, you know, it's part of nature. What happens is man comes in and puts these things out, which means that a lot of the easy burn stuff, a lot of the tender, dead branches, dead trees. And that's exactly what this sparked from was was yeah. a bunch yeah. of tender. So a lot of that stuff stays. It doesn't get burnt like it would naturally if man was involved. So what happens is you build up the potential for an even worse fire next year and worse fire next year and so on and so on. And that's what happens. And that's what's happening right now is this fire started in those exact situations and it's and it's explosively growing because they've put out the wildfire for the last you know however many years they've been fighting that. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't put out wildfires. I'm just pointing out that man's intervention has actually made wildfires worse, and that wildfires are a part of nature. And and yeah, they are a part of nature. My dad currently lives up in Spokane, Washington. It's that season up there too. They haven't gotten anything yet, but. It, it it's just like hurricane season down here in in Houston. These things happen, but how is this affecting crude oil production? Because of the fact that we've got the Bloomberg story here, wildfire cuts Canadian oil output. Yeah. So what's happened is everybody that's uh, producing oil. Not shouldn't say everybody. A lot of people that are producing oil had to pull their crews right because they're worried about their people's safety. So once the crews there, production disappears. So um, you know, Shell Shell has shut down its um, Albanian sands mine and Suncor and. Uh, Syncrude Canada both uh, pulled their people out. Well, that's 255,000 barrels of production a day that's now gone. Um, and, and they're doing the right thing, right? You don't want anybody to get hurt. Um, if you have some natural disaster like this, you get your people out of there. But until they get their hands around this, that production is not coming back. One of the really great things I saw on Twitter as I saw this story breaking was the fact that ConocoPhillips and all of the other people, all the other majors and, and players up there, they they were really really taking uh uh the what is it not the the crisis management right to the people and so they were saying hey if you I saw a tweet from Conoco Phillips have questions need help call this number call us at this number and that was amazing for me to see because so many people and we have such a bad reputation in the in the media for not caring and so forth and. The, yeah, and none of that's the, true. None of it's true. None of it's true. In the Shell facility, they were uh, they were opening their their rig, uh, their man camps. I guess you could say north of the town for people to stay in. So not only that, James, all of these uh, facilities have firefighters there that are trained, right? In case there's an incident at the actual production facility, they have volunteered to go fight this fire. So the Shell employees that are trained as a firefighter for free are out there working, battling this blaze. How cool is that? Yeah, it's it's really amazing, and it speaks to this industry and the the people. Everyone that you ever talk to, it's the people in this industry that make it amazing. And if you're not familiar with Fort McMurray, it's or or Alberta. If you're American, you probably don't know geography that well. We're sort of known for that, and which is sad. It's but sad true. but true, right? So we're talking about Western Canada. And if you take Calgary up north and you're in Edmonton and Fort McMurray is 
north of Edmonton by however many miles, and that's where this thing is blazing. And I don't know how long it's going to take, but man, a lot of people have lost their homes, and and the the pictures of of people driving out during the during the evacuation. I've been part of a hurricane evacuation before in 1998, and you see all the people stuck on the highway. Well, imagine being stuck on the highway. But you can't see 20 feet in front of you because of black smoke and the fire is literally raging next to your car. Yeah, and, and the big thing is weather, which you, you can't control. So hopefully they, they get some better weather conditions. The winds will die down, humidity go up, maybe hopefully even some rain. Um, like I said, they will get control of this, but it's going to take them a while. It, it, they will, and underlining the underscore, this has nothing to do with the oil sands. What it has to do with the oil sands is the fact that the industry is stepping up to help, and that's great. So moving from Canada across the Atlantic over a story that we continue to follow in Nigeria, we're going to talk about the hurdles in NNPC's new model to revive refineries. Yeah, this is kind of dovetail from some of the stuff we talked about last week. So basically... Um, Nigeria has a, a major issue with its refineries. They're not producing what they should, which means that the Nigerian government has to import fuels for its people, which is causing uh, economic chaos because you literally can't go fill your car up in Nigeria right now. You're allowed a little bit. And I mean, imagine trying to run your business when your people can't drive to work. And imagine that multiplied times, you know, a gazillion through the entire country. Now, unfortunately, the reason they can't produce their own fuels is due to corruption. And so the, the president has done a really good job of cleaning this stuff up. This is a good article about how his opposition is saying that some of the policies he's trying to push um, don't make sense. But his opposition is the unions, <laughs> which if you think the unions have um, served their time here in the U.S. and need to go somewhere else, imagine what the unions are in Nigeria. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. So um, basically uh, they talk about NNPC, which is the Nigerian National Petroleum Company, is looking to, um, to to speed up its turnaround and maintenance, which they call TAMS project. And there's a bunch of money involved, and they need to do this so they can get these refineries up online and producing at their capacities, which they haven't done in a very, very, very long time. And so um, the process is in place, the money's there, and now the president is is um, is fighting a, a political battle. Um, with the with the unions there, the unions don't want this because, quite frankly, he's driving the extra money they were making off corruption out of the system and using it to actually get the refineries online, which, of course, the unions don't want because that money went in their pockets. So, um, you know, we've been following what the president's been doing over there for a while. He's doing a really good job. Um, I'm a little bit worried about his safety because, you know, he's pissed off some major cartels and, and you know, crime bosses and everything else. But um, I'm hoping he gets this thing done for the Nigerian people. You know, they need to be able to run their country and they need fuel. And they unfortunately, they have the raw feedstock. They have the crude and natural gas and they have the refineries. They just can't produce enough of it for their own people because of corruption. It really puts my natural despising of of unions in perspective because I come from Detroit where you get eighty thousand dollars for sweeping a floor. That is uh, that that is minimal <laughs> makes uh makes this look makes that look like a you know some kid's birthday party that went wrong compared yeah. to what's going on over there 
the unions serve their purpose here in the U.S. and Europe as well, right? Um, at, before the unions, there were not good labor laws, right? So they, they've served their purpose. For the most part here in Europe, I think they're antiquated. Um, and nothing against the union people out there that are working. There's a lot of unions in the oil and gas industry. But that extra layer of profit has to be paid for by somebody. And it's it's paid for, quite frankly, by the consumer. And I just think we're at the point here in 2016 in the U.S. and Europe where it's time for uh, you know unions to kind of fade away. Agreed, agreed. All right, Mark, it's time to talk about the big story that everyone is waiting for us to talk about. And we're going to go with the Bloomberg story first and then a follow-up on who might benefit from this. Failed Halliburton-Baker-Hughes deal drew dozens of foes. Yeah, it's um, so I was wrong about this. I thought this deal was going to go through, um, and, and I called it wrong. Um, basically, Halliburton had so much resistance from the U.S. and Europe antitrust government regulatory bodies that it just it just wasn't worth it for them. I really thought Halliburton was going to be able to broker a deal where they spun off enough of Baker's assets and Halliburton's assets that the um, Department of Justice would approve this, and and just Halliburton said enough. Now, what also played into this, quite frankly, is the low crude price environment we're in. So both of these companies' stock value has depreciated because of low crude price, which made it not as economically feasible. Uh, to pull this thing off. Now, it still made sense. So the 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 300-pound gorilla in the room is Schlumberger. Nobody's as big as Schlumberger. This would have created a new company that could have competed with Schlumberger. Um, and it's it's interesting, you know, our, our government, taking all politics out, our government talks two different stories. So our current... Um, our current uh, leadership talks about how the oil and gas industry is old. We need to move to other uh, types of energy that we need to uh, make sure the oil and gas pays their fair share of taxes and blah, 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 blah. But in the court filing for this thing with the Department of Justice, our U.S. government said that the oil and gas industry is vital to the U.S. economy and to its people and that by letting this merger go through, it would create a, a, a less competition, which would drive the price of crude oil up. So, you know, come on, federal government, make up your mind. Is oil and gas important to you or is it not? And you and I, James, and our audience knows the deal. The truth is it's extremely important. But it's just funny from a political point of view that they, they tell two different stories depending on whichever one works best for that situation. That that really brings to mind my takeaway from sitting there with you at the UK investment. I'm not sure that the full title. I never remember it either. It's UKTI. It's UK Trade Investment Authority, I think, but it's UKTI. Right. And and the thing that really struck me, so you, you had speaker from Brazil, from Mexico, from um, uh, the US. Trinidad, the US, Trinidad and Tobago, everything. Yeah. And, and you, you start to really gain a scope of the amount of taxes none none of everybody that that says we should get off oil they do not realize that they wouldn't have a defense budget anymore they wouldn't have roads and bridges down to the municipal level and one one of the things i brought up my notes here uh, from the brazilian speaker only 20% of the 50 billion in reserves has been explored and, yeah, and, and, and you, reserves that are known we yeah, those know are, that, that's what i'm saying they're they're yeah. known right and only 20 percent. and so you hear the story about we're running out of oil oh my goodness it it just for me it really struck a chord because wow wow 20 percent. They, they said they wanted to get up to 5.4 million barrels a day in production by 2040 
Yeah, I, I tell people this story all the time to help shift the way people think about stuff. So um, our audience, I'm sure, knows that glass is made from sand, right? Some silicon sand. But nobody worries about running out of sand to make glass. They never even think about it because they know that the supply of sand is so limitless. Um, it's the same way with hydrocarbons. We are in a hydrocarbon abundant world and continue to be in a hydrocarbon abundant world. It's just like the sand. We're, we will stop using hydrocarbons before we ever get close to running out of it. Um, the other thing that's important about this story that people need to understand is that there's a breakup fee involved. And it's not small. It's $3.5 billion that Halliburton has to pay to Baker contractually if this deal to get to go through. And I think we're going to talk about this on the next story. But that $3.5 billion um, is going to be important to Baker's future. Yeah, let's get into that because one of the one of the conspiracy theories that I had, as I'm a bit of a contrarian and conspiracy theorist, was maybe GE might have been lobbying against this. I don't know if they were, but here here is a story from Amigobos, and it's Baker Hughes, the next big catalyst. Baker Hughes, the next is I guess it put is at the front. Is Baker Hughes the next big catalyst for General Electric? Yeah, so hats off to Amigo Bulls, who I've never known before, but until you put them in front of me, because I've been hearing this rumor for a while. And as far as I know, they're one of the first people to actually put it in print. So in some ways, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, General Electric um, is a smart company. The the value of uh, Baker Hughes is very low. It's been devalued. General Electric is in the oil and gas industry, but they have a very small piece of the service market. By buying Baker, they would increase their service, and then the Department of Justice, instead of fighting this, would approve it, because now you're creating a third service company, so it's even more competitive. Um, do I think GEs could do this? No. I, I don't think it fits into their portfolio in the way they normally do. Um, but one of the things that's interesting is we talked earlier in the last uh, news article about that $3.5 billion that Bakers could pick up. So Baker has a business unit of theirs uh, that they – uh, acquired by acquisition called BJ Services. So basically a well stimulation company. And I have a funny story that I'm not going to talk about on this show about BJ Services from 15 years ago. But anyway, if Baker takes that $3.5 billion and invests it into BJ Services, right now well stimulation is huge because it's cheaper to go stimulate an existing well than to drill a new well. Baker could turn itself around and actually position itself um, at, at a much higher stock price so that if GE would buy them, the shareholders of Baker would come out at, at a premium. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this thing works out. Like again, Once again, I don't think it's going to fit into GE's portfolio um, and, and also their culture, um, but it makes total business sense that GE may be looking at this. And like I said, I've heard this rumor for, for this entire year. I've been hearing this rumor since January. Well, one line to play devil's advocate, over the past decade, GE has undertaken nine oil and gas acquisitions valued at $500 million each, including the 2013 purchase of uh, Liftkin Industries, which specialized in making oil pumps for $3.24 billion. So when you say it, you don't think it fits, how do you mean? So GE doesn't have a lot of cash right now, and in order for them to pick up Baker – um, they're going to have to pay a premium. So they're going to pay you know, 40 to 60% above what the, the company's currently worth in a, in a time when they don't have a lot of extra cash. So in order to do that, they're going to have to finance that somehow. They're going to have to put bonds out there or um, not pay dividends or, or whatever. And that's not how GE does business. GE tends to um, not go into debt to acquire companies. They, they spend their money wisely. So I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a good time for them to do it because – Baker's been devalued, but because they have to pay a premium and they don't have the cash to, to totally cover that, I just don't think they'll do it. 
Well, we will continue to follow this story and we will stand corrected if we are wrong or you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Seeking Alpha, we've got a few in a row because they had some great stories come out this week. Well, great to talk about. We'll we'll find out if Mark likes them or not. The first one we're going to talk about is U.S. crude inventories climb again as speculators try to keep oil rally going. And I brought this out because maybe one or two episodes ago, we talked about how how oil speculators make a lot of money during a downturn and talk talk us through this article yeah so th- this is you know my usual love hate relationship with seeking alpha this is actually a very good article so they're they're looking at the real market dynamics so the a lot of this is what we look at when we forecast where where crews would go you know year over year um and, and they're right about a bunch of stuff so they talk about how the media is focused on rig count rig counts and you know, we've talked about this before rig counts have don't have much to do with production because while you're drilling, you can't produce. Um, they talk about how um, the uh, the storage market is uh, actually starting to increase. So inventories are going up for things like gasoline and crude and diesel, which is true. Um, one of the things they miss is that there's a shelf life, especially on gasoline and diesel. So that storage is very short term. Um, but overall, this is a good article talking about how um, Seekin Alpha thinks that speculators are, are the reason that the oil prices are going up, not the market drivers. Now, I will disagree with them. Um, when you get when you read this whole article and, and they talk about stuff like um, high frequency trading, which actually plays a part. That's where computers basically do the trade built around a set of algorithms instead of people only do it you know thirty times a second. But one of the things they talk about is they think long term wise, crudes could drop back down to I think they said thirty dollars a barrel, and I don't see that happening. I the the market drivers are there. Our oversupply is shrinking. The world's consumption of crude is growing, and fortunately for our industry, the U.S. Um, government allowed us uh, change the laws allowed us to export so now our oil is playing in the global market it's not landlocked anymore so i don't think that that we're gonna rebound and drop you know below 30 dollars again like this story is but the the data in here and the market drivers in here and the way this story is written is very well done and in hitting on this point about about rig counts we heard you and i were at the drilling info roadshow we heard alan gilmer talk about how misleading rig counts can be there because of the fact that you have, it, it, we're not living in the world of you have a vertical well, one, one rig goes out there. You could have multiple rigs working the same pad over time. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was a good thing for Alan to bring up. So, what happens, what's happening now, and I wasn't aware of this until we sat in there and I did a little bit of research, and he's absolutely right, is that what happens, you'll have one rig go punch a vertical, right? Then you'll have another rig come in and actually um, uh, drill the horizontals. And then you have an, another rig come in and do the, the uh, casing preparations, all that. So you may have three rigs work one well, which artificially skews the rig count numbers. Because you could say, well, there's three rigs. Well, it's only one well. So um, you know that needs to be taken into consideration, and that's new. That's never happened before. It wasn't until um, our operators figured out how to properly hydraulically frack a well that then it became um, – a, a cost-effective measure to have different rigs do different things in a well. So how is he talking about rig counts in terms of driving oil prices in the article? So he's saying the same thing that we say, that that a lot of the um, analysts out there look at rig counts as some indicator of production numbers, and it's not. So they're, you know, they're, basically, he's, they're basically saying that um, in the U.S. rig counts have dropped, which makes the speculators think that oil production is dropping – and it's not. It, it is in some ways, but it has it no way correlates to the rig count at all. All right. Let's move over to the next one from Heinz Howard over at Seeking Alpha. Master Limited Partnerships 
MLPs for anyone who is new to the show or new to the industry. MLPs log best April ever. Yeah, and so an MLP is a legal entity that um, it's it's almost similar to some of the ways they invest in real estate. It, it's, they don't pay taxes. The shares trade on the stock exchange. Um, it, it, it's, it's a special type of corporate setup that some companies use to their advantage. Um, and MLPs are real popular. About They actually took off about five years ago. And, and the growth of former MLPs has slowed. But this is a good article by Seeking Alpha showing how that MLPs um, are actually doing very well uh, compared to other types of business entities like general partners, GPs. So um, it's it's interesting thing to see that um, the, the MLPs in this low crude market are outperforming other type of corporate structures. Yeah, it says MLPs are outperforming the S&P 500 so far in 2016, which prior to 2013 was very routine. Yeah, and so you know our buddy uh, Patrick works for uh, Cedrill, right? So Cedrill uh, is actually an MLP Cedrill Partners, and and even though they're a contract drilling company, their value, their stock value, is not being hurt very much. And you would think they would be starving to death right now, and they're not. And it's because of the corporate structure of the MLP. Now, who are who are some of the winners and losers that they talk about here? So um, some of the winners and losers, we talked about Seadrill. Seadrill is doing actually very well. Uh, Midcoast Energy Partners is, is, is doing very strong. Um, and even um, Capital Product Partners and Phillips 66, all are doing good. I'm not going to say great. They're doing good in this low crude price environment, which then makes you think, what's going to happen when the price of crude rebounds? You know, these guys will go off the chart. And it says uh, Midcoast Energy Partners shortened and MEP it says despite the big run MEP remains among the biggest losers of the year why uh, they've made some bad financial decisions uh, in, in um, at the end of last year and they're paying for that now they, they basically um, grew faster than they should and they took on debt and now the ability to finance that debt is harder so it costs more money so they're they're just paying the price right now yeah and there's plenty more in this article in terms of MA if you're in that world all of the links to the, any of the stories, if you want to read more about the wildfire or Baker Hughes and Halliburton and all these things, you can go to trybrocket.com forward slash TW62. This is episode 62. That's how you get to all of the shows. And by all means, continue to binge. <laughs> continue to binge because I, I didn't actually mention the total number. We, as of this recording, 108,419 downloads that's a jump in in nearly twenty thousand over over a few days mark incredible that's awesome incredible thank you for listening all right this is an interesting article to me from seeking alpha again scott anderson because they're talking about chesapeake energy and its survival building an income and cash model for chesapeake energy and i'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say and educating me on how they could turn this company around. Yeah, so I don't know Scott, Scott Anderson. Uh, his title is Special Situations Oil and Gas, which is cool. Um, but I'd love to meet him because this guy has to be an uber financial geek. <laughs> you read this article, and he basically is is literally getting down to the pennies on what needs to happen from a financial model point of view. And he built his model in Excel, and then he gave it away for free. So you can go to uh, excels-data-junkies.com uh, and download his Excel a model so you can do this with other companies but basically he's done a deep dive and he says that chesapeake can survive and may actually come out of this 
um, okay, depending on what happens to the price of crude, depending on what Chesapeake does. Now, I said on previous shows that I thought Chesapeake was going to go bankrupt, and they came awfully close. <laughs> um, and in his model, in uh, Scott's model, he says that Chesapeake needs $60 a barrel for oil, $3 for billion cubic foot natural gas, and they'll be okay. And he's done an unbelievably fantastic model of building this thing out. I mean, way, 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 way deeper than I would have ever went. So if you're into figuring out financial models of oil and gas companies, you ought to go download his spreadsheet because you can just pull Chesapeake's numbers out of there and put any companies in there. But you need to give um, Scott credit because he did a lot of work on this. But long story short, he thinks that Chesapeake's going to make it and that uh, they're going to be able to pull out of this. I'm still a bit doubtful, but honestly, I thought they were going to be bankrupt by February, and I was wrong about that. So let's see what happens. Yeah, and and if you if you want to completely avoid bankruptcy, if you want to actually excel in the oil field – you need to take a look at Intech process automation. One of the other trends that I saw around the show floor at OTC was something we talk about all the time on the show, which is operational efficiency. And this is a company that can do that for you, Mark. Yeah, and actually, no, Chesapeake could take big advantage of Intech. Uh, Chesapeake could, could, could really, this would actually help their financial model if they would look at improve, increasing their efficiencies, uh, especially their production efficiency. So if you're in the oil field, if you're an operator, if you're a service company that touches that, you need to check this out. So Intech did our audience a favor and wrote a white paper just for our audience on in, increasing efficiencies using process improvement and using um, production improvement. So the ability to, to forecast whether you lose a mud pump or, um, you know, any type of plan maintenance, they can help you with that, which just, then just makes your cost uh, reduce. So uh, if you have a minute, if you're an operator, if you're a service company, if you do anything upstream in the industry, go check this out. It's free. Download it. Um, if, if they need to download it, you go to where, James? It's intechww.com, intechww.com forward slash podcast. All right, this next article is is interesting to me because there's it, it seems to be a, a whole lot of speculation going on, but it's about Oxy, and I'll just give the title and, and hear your thoughts. The merger that could create a new oil major. So this is a great article. Um, it's um, I have not heard this. I have not heard any rumors, but it makes fiscal sense in a lot of ways. And what so are we talking about here? So we're talking about um, we're talking about um, Occidental buying Apache, and Apache. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, a while back, Anna Darko looked at picking up Apache, and then I thought um, I thought Exxon was going to pick up Apache, and I was wrong about that. But if you think about what Occidental does, and you think about Apache, their businesses would just fit naturally together. Run us through um, real and, quick what Oxy, and, and just just for anybody that doesn't know, including myself, what they do. Yeah. So. Um, so, so Occidental is a U.S.-based company, and they, they play predominantly in upstream, right? So I think their production is around 700,000 barrels a day of BOE. Um, but the thing that's, that makes them unique is not only do they have uh, plays in the, all the major basins, especially the Permian, but they also have assets in the Middle East and Latin America so they can diversify. And so not only do they – they're almost like a mini Chevron. So they're, they're, they, they touch everything, right? They have chemicals. They have um, – pipelines they have uh, marketing so they have you know midstream and downstream business but the majority of their market is upstream and it's predominantly liquids a liquids play and they're really good at it so if you take that approach and then apply it to apache apache fits in 
I mean, just it would just fit in like a puzzle piece to Oxy's business. And then Oxy, Oxy is in a financial position to actually be able to pull this off. Now, if Oxy buys Apache, you will then have a, I'm not going to say a super major, but you'll have another almost super major. You'll have a major um, that could easily, with crude prices rebound, become another super major. And I think it would be so cool if this would happen, and we now have another super major. So instead of five, we have six, uh, which just then just drives competition, which then drives efficiency, which drives more jobs and prosperity, and just be cool stuff. So like I said, I haven't heard any rumors of this. Now, of course, you know, neither the CEO of Apache or, or Oxy, you know, I don't play cards with on a regular basis. So um, I'd like to t- play cards if they are up for it. But um, it would be interesting to see where this thing goes. It, it just makes perfect sense. So, you know, really good job by um, Omar, I can't pronounce it, Maji, on, on looking at this and figuring out that this would make a great merger. Very, very interesting. Very interesting uh, stuff there. I don't know if he's just speculating for the, for the, for the sake of it or what's going on there in terms of of writing but it, it is it is definitely a story we will have to follow and we were at the shrimp boil <laughs> the <laughs> nov shrimp boil and i was so thoroughly taken aback by the amazing just sales and marketing clinic that that they were putting on out there national oil well varco at the nov they do this every year Mark always is not as long as I've known him has always stressed the importance of going to this. And I went ahead and wrote an article called why NOV owns OTC 2016 Houston and how you can too. Yeah. So uh, a great article, James, you did a really good job of breaking this down for any size company. If you're a two man shop or a 200,000 man shop, you need to read this because he's right. National Orwell is, 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 a big old ship, but man, every now and then they just pull off marketing genius. And this was this is something they've been doing for years. So basically, it's um it's a shrimp boil, and, and they have other food too there. But what it really is is a chance for National Oil Wells prospects and customers to go and learn about what's going on in National Oil Wells. So they have all their equipment out, they have their new equipment out, but their people, their subject matter experts, usually are not salespeople. And if they are salespeople, they're 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 they've been instructed to not sell. It's about education. So if you're, um, you know, if you're looking at blowout preventer stacks, or if you're looking at, you know, new drill bits or casing or, or whatever, you can go there and actually talk to the experts at National Oil Well and not be sold to, and not feel pressure. Now think about that long term wise, James. If you're an engineer at Exxon Mobil and you go do this and you don't feel pressured, but you learn about a new, um, you know, BOP stack or or a new technology for managing wastewater, and you learn it in a non sales environment. How beneficial is that to National Oil Well long-term wise? It, it's amazing. It's the way that you sell. It, great, and I have the subhead here, is that great selling is great teaching. And creating that environment, it, it, was, it was just blew me away because we do live in such a deal-centric environment where it's, it's, all right, let's get this going, let's get this going. And they thoroughly understand that by building trust and building a relationship, they're going to they're going to benefit in the long term so they they take the the longer farming view on this over hunting which which was amazing to see in person yeah and so i spent a couple hours i actually had one of my brazilian clients uh, uh, come down and we, we took them this so i spent some time touring them around and they were so impressed with the technical knowledge of the experts at nov um, and their ability just to get good information and they actually had a rig tour there as well 
So my, my clients loved it. They got educated. They saw value. So somewhere down the road, if my clients want to work with National All Well, they have a positive mental image because of this event they did. And then I must have met probably, uh, I'd say, 12 very senior people in oil and gas, like senior VPs. Uh, you know, I'm, I met a guy that's in charge of uh, deep water operations for um, Chevron. I mean, where else are you going to go to one event and have these type of senior oil and gas people walking around drinking beer and just talking to you? This is, this was an awesome event, and it is every year. Yeah, and and one of the things I give a a a tip o the a tip of the NOV trucker hat to Mark because he allowed me to put in the simple four-step strategy that he taught me that we work with clients on now to do is the value of off-site events, taking advantage of the fact that your entire industry is in one place at one time, no matter how big or small your company is. Yeah, so we do this with our clients all the time. And last year, we did this with one of our clients at um, OTC. And we had basically 31 people sign up for an event that we did of those 31 people, my client's sales team set 27 sales meetings. And of those 27 sales meetings, they closed nine new logos, nine new deals. And the cost was $1,200. Where else in the world can you spend $1,200 and pick up nine new big oil and gas clients? Nowhere. And it's just, it's just a process, right? And James outlines it here. Um, so if, if you have an interest in picking up new logos, go read James article. He did a very good job of breaking this down for you. And, and Mark did a very good job of, of teaching this. And then also a shout out, big, big shout out to NOV's social team. They had, they, they're, they're all over their Twitter account in terms of, I didn't make the point in the article. They didn't just reply to me because they know I have a blog. They were replying to everyone using the hashtag. Thanks for coming out. We really appreciate you. It was just fantastic offline and online. Yeah, and even the fact they had a hashtag and had it prominently displayed, how many oil and gas companies do you think are doing that right now? Not very many. <laughs> Not I could probably many. I could probably count count them on on one finger. <laughs> Right and then you're right. So not only do they have a hashtag, they were monitoring it. So they replied back to me within five minutes. Um, and that's that's the way you do it in 2016. So you know what? Hats off NOV for uh, doing it right. Um, we had a great time there. We look forward to doing it again next year. Which and We also look forward to seeing what else they pull out of the bag as far as marketing in, in the oil and gas industry. Definitely. Definitely. Get there next year. And as I say in the article, you have one year to prepare for OTC. So get ready. If you want to own like them, I break it all down in there. All right, I'm not even going to try to make Mark laugh because I know he's not going to laugh at this, but I laughed very hard. <laughs> Man on rolling swivel chair pushes away from desk like Blue Angel breaking formation. And then the rest of the article is just a bunch of ridiculousness about gliding swiftly across the office's modular carpet tiles to reach for a padded mailing envelope like a member of Angel's demonstration squadron seamlessly transitioning into a low-altitude knife. Anyway... I think it's hilarious. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, my Navy fly guys, that James is, is referencing you to a guy in an office chair. <laughs> <laughs> it's That's what makes it so ridiculous and, and hilarious to other people that aren't you. All right, we have a winner, Mark LaCour. Can you tell us who that is? No, because I can't pronounce his name. So, uh, Trayan um, Bonsiu, Senior Department Manager at OMV um, Petroleum. Congratulations, you're getting a really, really, really cool bag. And not only are you getting a cool bag, James and I heard at OTC that that bag is in high demand. So, um, you know, it's funny that we've driven this thing to be a, a, a status symbol to actually get a Red Wing bag. Yeah, and so it's OMB Petrom. Interestingly enough, it is a Romanian integrated oil and gas oil company, the largest corporation in Romania and the largest oil and gas producer in Southeast Europe. 
That's cool. That is really cool. Thank you very much for listening. I know Mark butchered your name. I, I will try. Let's see. You said, tr- yeah, it is kind of Trayan Bonsiu. <laughs> I'm going to give that. But if you or anyone else wants to get a hold of one of these Red Wing bags, there's no purchase necessary. All you do is see the official site for rules and details. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Mark, how did your uh, how did your opportunity to finally see Tito the one year one time a year <laughs> that you're able to see? And for anybody listening, that's Tito Warren. He's the head of the, the sales organization there for the international. Yeah, so I've known Tito for a long time. He's head of global sales, and it's a joke between us. We only see each other one day of the year, and it's at OTC at his booth. Now, he's here all the time, and I am too. We're both so busy we never can get together. But it was great seeing him. It was actually great seeing the whole staff at Red Wing. Man, you want to talk about some good people wanting to do good business. Um, the entire company is built that way. They, they do quality work, and they take pride in that work. Um, if you're uh, in the oil field, you've heard of, the, of Red Wing boots, but you may not know that they actually produce protective clothing, right? Flame resistant and all kinds of other stuff. So if you have a need for that uh, PPE type of stuff, look at Red Wing because they won't let anything go out the door unless it's high quality. And then because they're your one-stop shop, it actually can drive costs down even though you're getting you know, A-plus quality stuff out there. So you know, hats off to Red Wing. Thanks for sponsorship. It was great seeing Tito and everybody at, the, at OTC, and I'm sure I'll, I'll see Tito again next year. <laughs> right. And you will not only have to take a look or be able to take a look at them, you'll be able to listen because I had a fantastic, fantastic interview with Tito Warren and Jim Bailey. A couple, uh, Jim Bailey is recently brought onto the team. We just had a, an amazing conversation. We're going to get that pushed out next week. So you'll be able to hear that. We have some events on deck. Wait, 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 wait. Before we go to the event. And yeah. also, shout out to Chris, right? She's put yes. all this stuff together at Red Wing. She's a fantastic resource, a great person. I actually got to find and meet her in person. And, um, you, know, and you had people stopping the by the booth to thank her. Yeah, yeah. We they actually had people stopping by the booth to thank her for sponsoring a podcast. So, you know, I want to give a big shout out to her. She's not in the limelight, but she does a lot of the heavy lifting and pulling at Red Wing and makes our lives much easier. So, you know, Chris, it was great meeting you in person. Yeah, yes, definitely. Thanks for thanks for getting that in there. All right. Events on deck. We have uh, obviously not as many after OTC, but we do have the API luncheon happening Next Tuesday, May 10th, from 10 to 12.30, down at the Petroleum Club. Who's going to be our speaker? Louis Finkel, who's the Executive Vice President for Government Affairs at API. So you need to go to this. If you're in the industry, spend the whatever it is, 25 30 bucks to go to this. Um, I'll be there. If you go, reach out to me. I'll be happy to sit you at my table and make introductions. But this could be a very informative um, um, education experience and then we're also doing a mini tech expo so we do this thing where we invite vendors and like national oil well our vendors are told not to sell so our our audience can walk around and learn about new technologies processes and businesses in oil and gas and not feel sold to so it's gonna start earlier than normal it starts at 10 a.m if you're in the industry you need to go to this all right and then we talk a lot about the digital oil field and the, and the internet of things we have a webinar coming up digital transformation for the energy industry next week on may 12th if you missed that one they have may 24th as well but it looks like it's out system platform that's hosting this yeah it's out systems a great group of people um 
they're they're very plugged into this digital transformation that's happening in the oil and gas industry. They're doing a webinar and they're not charging anything for it. So if you have an interest in the digital oil field, the Internet of Things, the evolution of technology and oil and gas, sign up for this. And like James said, there's two opportunities, so there's no excuse for you not to sign up. So uh, take a take a look at this. If you play in that world or if you have an interest in that world, you know, click on the link, sign up. You'll be glad you did. All right. And we have a last call for the first Friday Q&A. We have enough questions. We just don't have a voicemail. So, yeah. And, you know, James, I actually talked to somebody this week about that. And what they told me is they're they're a bit self-conscious about their voice being played on the air. And it's like, I don't know if that's a one off, but if that applies to a lot of it applies to a lot of people. I know. (laughs) Stop it. Right. Just leave us a voicemail. So neither James and I have professional voice training, right? We're two guys on a couple of microphones talking on a podcast. You'll fit right in with us. There's nothing to be uh, concerned about. Leave us a voicemail. And if you really, 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 really won't leave, don't want to leave us a voicemail, uh, shoot us uh, a comment in, in, in the, on the blog post or Twitter or whatever. And let us know your questions. We, you know, that first Friday every month, we answer your questions. Um, um, you know, anything to do with the oil field or, or, you know, anything that touches the oil field, reach out. And if we can help you, we'll be glad you did. And you'll get a shout out on the show. Yeah. So you can find any, there's contact forms on my site. You can go to tribrocket.com forward slash QA. There's a form there, or there's an orange button that says send voicemail. The LinkedIn group, we're up 17 members over last week. We're, we're just blowing up, blowing up. So you can join that by going to tribrocket.com forward slash LinkedIn. And if you're searching for it, it's Global Oil and Gas Network because why, Mark? Because we are the Global Oil and Gas Network, and we have a bunch of new stuff coming. Just stay tuned. Stay tuned. And people keep reviewing, and and they should keep reviewing, right, Mark? Yeah. So people, leave us a review. It takes a minute and a half. What it really does is helps us get in front of more people because it increases our search engine rankings and our iTunes rankings. So if you listen to the show, we do this for you for free every week. And look, it's it's work. I mean, it's real work. Do me a personal favor. Go to uh, the link and leave us a review. Like I said, take a minute and a half, and it will help us help you and get more good stuff, more good content out there. Yeah, so it's triberocket.com forward slash TW reviews. And you mentioned about the work. We have to thank our sponsors. We don't say this enough, but our sponsors are the reason that we're able to put this content out for free every week. It does take work. It does take time. And so thank you for, for our, to our sponsors and to everyone who goes to intechww.com forward slash podcast and redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast and answers your information because you are supporting our sponsors and helping us keep this, keep this thing going. All right, if you made it this far in the show, please share it with your friends. You can do that at tribrocket.com forward slash share li shares it straight to LinkedIn, forward slash share TW, straight to Twitter, forward slash share FB, straight to Facebook. With that said, Mark, are you ready to go? Yep. Folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. like um 
uh, uh, um, of course you could ask me something I can't answer.